Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey, and I am so excited to dive into today's episode with Jennifer Loading. She is going to share all about how she overcame a chronic debilitating condition and found whole body health. But before we get into that, let me pause and give a special thank you to our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Swanson Health. Swanson Health has been producing quality vitamins, supplements, food and beverage products, healthy home products, and self-care products for over 50 years, since 1969. If you want to try any of Swanson Health's great products for yourself, use the code Whole 20, that's spelled W H O L E 20 for 20% off site wide and free shipping on orders $50 or more on swanson.com. Now, you probably heard me talk about bone broth before and the importance and how much I love it. Well, I am loving Swanson's bone broth collagen. It's a natural flavor, so I can just put it into my coffee, don't even taste it, but I experience all the benefits. Swanson's real food formulas are sourced from real foods. No artificial colors or flavors. It's non-GMO and made with USDA certified bovine bones for total collagen nourishment definitely go check that out. And if you want to try any of the other 18,000 wellness products that Swanson offers, make sure to use the code WHOLE20 for 20% off site-wide free shipping on orders $50 or more on Swanson.com. So go to Swanson, check out their products, use the code WHOLE20 for 20% off I know that you are going to love it. So let's get into today's episode. Today, I am going to be speaking with Jennifer Loading. She is a health and business coach, blogger, podcast host, speaker, and author. She and her husband have three children, some of whom share her passion for running. Within the last half year, this intrepid entrepreneur has written a book and started a podcast. Her memoir, Beat the Toughest Obstacles highlights the period in her life when she was able to recover from the pain and frustration that comes with the diagnosis of atypical trigeminal neuralgia. After years of getting no answers from medical professionals, Jennifer decided to find the best path to healing for herself. Relentless research and dogged determination allowed her to sneak around the sabotaging behaviors in her own life, and now she lives pain and medicine I cannot wait to hear all about this. Now her desire is to teach people tips that will help them to have exponential growth. She has channeled her energy and enthusiasm into the podcast Starter Girls, which she hosts every week. She interviews athletes, entrepreneurs, and individuals who are starting projects, starting businesses, starting brands, or starting movements, highlighting the strengths that have helped them not only succeed, but overcome the challenges they have faced and that often present themselves. Jennifer likes empowering people to achieve success by helping them recognize sabotaging behaviors, their source, and how to get around them. So Jennifer, it is 
going to be so much fun having you on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So Jennifer, I would love to get started. Just share a little bit, you know, about your health journey and that, that big word diagnosis that I had to say, I, most people have probably never even heard of that. And you just have an amazing story. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about what you went through and then what was your catalyst for change? Absolutely. And you did very good saying that word, by the way, it is a hard <laughs> word, it's a very, very tricky word. So that's why I always tell everybody, just say TN. Nobody's going to know what it is anyways, unless I give them, you know, the background on it. But yeah, my journey began actually in January of 2012. I had gone into the dentist for a minor dental procedure and came out five months later, I was diagnosed with this rare nerve condition. Now that's the short form. There was four months of agony going into that to get that diagnosis. But like anything, you know, when you have a condition that's starting to not get resolved, you really just want to get a diagnosis because once you get that diagnosis, then at least you can say, hey, I have this. What do I need to do to move forward? Unfortunately, a diagnosis of trigeminal neuralgia is not one you want to hear because if you go and you look that up on the internet or anywhere in a medical book, it's going to be in parentheses suicide disease because it is extremely painful. And my case wasn't a typical case, which means, you know, most people that have trigeminal neuralgia may have a nerve that is compressed in between their neck and it's somewhere in there between the base of their neck and in their jaw. Well, an atypical case means you typically don't have anything that shows up on an MRI. So we had really nothing to go on other than I'm telling them my face feels like it's in a vice grip. I feel like I'm having electric shock in my face. Somebody's punching me. That's what we had to go on. And so unfortunately, I spent four years going through that in and out of doctors, hospitals, between dentists, back and forth between specialists, and ultimately ended up on six different medications. And that was including benzos and opiates. And I can tell you, I remember sitting in a doctor's office when they prescribed me benzos and, and asking the doctor, hey, listen, can I take all this medication? I'm on opiates right now. Hello. And she had to open my file and look at all the medications I was taking because that's how bad it was. And so the really what happened, the catalyst for change came in late December of 2015. By this point, I had walked into a doctor's office. I'd had my gallbladder removed. I was extremely sick. And if you've ever known anybody with cancer, you know their life. You've seen it. They're in chronic pain and they're sick from all the medication they're on. That was my life. And I talk about it in my book that that's how I imagine that it was like for somebody with cancer. And so I walked into this doctor's office and the PA came in and, and she basically, her words to me were, Jennifer, you're a conundrum. We don't know what to do with you. And that was the word she used, by the way. I have not forgotten that day. And so I was in a very fragile state when I walked out of there. I was borderline at the point where I was, I was very almost suicidal. I was at the point I was going to give up. And it was for me a do or die situation because at that time, my kids were young. When I started this, they were 16, 12, and eight. So imagine four years later, we're now pushing 20, you know, 16. They're still teenagers. I still have them in the house. And I had no option. I had to get better for their sake. And so that was really the catalyst for me. And so I went on a personal journey, on a personal health journey. I started researching, doing my homework and really getting out there and just 
looking for ways to heal myself because I knew medicine was not going to be the answer. It obviously hadn't worked up until this point. And so ultimately, you know, I started eliminating food out of the diet. I don't want to say there was no easy shortcut to this because I think chronic health is one of those things where when you're in that position, it's a lot of trial and error. I made a lot of bad moves, but ultimately I got where I needed to. And so I started, I did food logs for six months, started honing in on things and I'll tell you the magic bullet for me at the end was when I went keto, I ended up doing a ketogenic diet for 22 months. And after the end of the 22 months, I was actually able to get off all of those medications, reboot my body, get the inflammation down. And thankfully to this day, I have been able to stay off the medications and have been pain-free. So for me, it was really just about, I couldn't see living my life like that for the rest of my life. It wasn't going to happen. And and it forced me to, it forced me to have to do something drastic and really just reset my body. Yeah. Oh, you said so much there. That is so amazing. And I know a lot of people can resonate with that where they have these issues and maybe there's a diagnosis, but maybe there's no really good treatment available and everybody around them are, they're treating them and throwing their hands up in the air and going, I don't know what else to tell you. And you were just put in, in a really terrifying position yet you advocated for yourself. And that's something that I, you know, I'm so reminded of is that we, nobody else knows our bodies. Like we know our bodies, you know, nobody else knows what we're going through. Like we know. And so we have to advocate for themselves. And so I think that's, so you're not on any more medication and you don't have any more pain either. No. Yeah, no, I will tell you when I say pain, you know, because to give you guys kind of an idea what this is, because, you know, when you go in the doctors, they'll ask you on a scale of one to 10 where you're sitting. Well, I would walk in. I couldn't even give them a number. I was at 99.9. Like I had never felt pain at that level. I mean, I had migraines. I broke bones. I've had babies. I know pain. That was something I had never experienced before. And so when I say pain free. I am reminded every now and then the nerve will act up a little bit. I can feel that it, the whatever's there is there, but it is not that kind of pain. It is not anything that I have to take ibuprofen for any kind of medication. So yeah, I am completely medicine free. And when I say pain free, I mean, 99.5%. There may be a little yeah. every now and then I can feel it acting up to remind me it's still there, but nothing to that level. And I really feel like, you know, again, there's no easy answer to this because people always ask me, and I talk about this in my book, you know, diet and exercise is one piece of that puzzle that I talk about there, but there were so many things I put into place in that journey. I mean, I did meditation. I, you know, I was running, I was doing reading and I was really doing a lot of things to really keep my head in the right place. And ultimately I think it was the combination of all these pieces coming together that allowed my body to heal. So yes, diet, you know, inflammation, food, important part of everything, but I think it's all goes together because, you know, it's one of those things that I believed every day that I got up, even when I would have those moments where I would lose hope, I still believe there had to be an answer and I just hadn't found it yet. Like there had to be something there. Yeah. It's that, that mindset is powerful. Wow. And in your book, you talk about how you picked up running because it was almost a way to, uh, to divert your pain, right. To a different area. Yeah your body. And I find that interesting. You know, I'm, I'm a, I love running myself. It's been really big for me. And I recently, since the weather is so awesome, have picked it up again, but getting back into it after taking a long break off is hard. And so I'm imagining how much pain you had to deal with to 
find that running for two hours at a time, three hours at a time, or however much you ended up training for that wasn't painful compared like that. That's a, that's crazy. That's huge. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I, I, you know, I think about it now and it's so crazy because just this morning we went out to walk the dogs and my husband's like, do you want to run or do you want to walk? And I'm like, I'm too tired to run today. Let's just walk. So <laughs> it is, you know, but really, I mean, there would be days I would go out there and yes, it would hurt to get out there. And, and yes, I would feel that, but that there was something magical and they talk mm-hmm. about it. You know, when you get that runner's high, once you yeah. get going, those endorphins start flowing and it would really allow me for two things. It would allow me, yes, to divert that pain, relocate it, move it from my face, get it down into other parts of the body. But not only that, it was so instrumental in my, in my brain health and in my mind health, just helping mm-hmm. me keep the serotonin flowing and the things, yeah. you know, intact. I couldn't imagine, honestly, I couldn't imagine I was active before this started. So I could not imagine having gone through this and not have been doing something to physically keep my mind in place because it would have been extremely difficult. I mean, it was, it was hard enough to get out of bed every day, you know, and just to, and not have anything. And in that too, because I was running so much, I was also competing a little bit. So I was running in races and stuff. And so that kind of gave me something else to look forward to yeah. rather than saying, okay, I've got this diagnosis. Let me label myself every day and be stuck with this. You know, it gave me hope that yes, I can still keep doing something and trying to, to do something to better myself. Yeah. And you aren't letting your label limit you. And I think that's amazing. That's, that's huge. So, you know, we can get into that a little bit more and about your book, your book is called beat the toughest obstacles. Right. Um, right. And it has, it includes all of these things that you ended up doing for yourself in far greater detail, which I really like. Um, one of the things I loved reading about was the butterfly effect. So maybe you can kind of explain what that is. How does that relate to the decisions that you made for your health? Um, I thought that, that was really cool the way you talk about that. Yeah. Isn't the butterfly effect is, effect is such a neat concept really. And the whole idea is about it. If you, you can study though, go back and study this, but it's really about the idea that whatever happens on one side of the world can resonate in another part of the world. And so I really believe that like everything we do in life, we're connected, you know, and I always say that when people come to the table and they're more, more emotionally intelligent, they make better decisions. And that has the ability to affect everything, including environment and the choices we made in the food we buy and the decisions that we make when engaging with other people. But as far as my health was concerned, the whole idea here was, is that, you know, when you come to the, when you come up and you're unhealthy and, and again, health is not just about what we eat. Health is wrapped up in also our mental state, how we're perceiving things, how we're coming to the table. And, you know, at the time that I was going through this diagnosis, I had a nutritionist, I want to say he was like a dietary nutritionist. He asked me, Jennifer, what was going on in your life at the time that this happened? And I not documented this in the book. I was very angry when he asked me this because I was like, you know, seriously, think about this. I walked into the dentist's office. I come out and I'm in pain now. How did I have any contribution in that in that whole thing? But we always have a contribution in everything that happens to us. And in hindsight, when I wrote that book, I looked at it very differently. At the time this was going on, my kids were in multiple activities. I was running a business. I had three kids. I was room mom, you know, parent mom. I was doing all of this and they were in karate and soccer, lacrosse, you know, everything. And so really I was scattered all over the place. And so when I had to come to make all these decisions about my health, I really had to think about, look, if you stay in this pattern of taking this medication, I missed four years of my children's life because I was on opiates. I was on benzos. I was not coherent 
inherently here. And so when you think about that, these, my children were at a very prime age where they were very vulnerable to a lot of different things. And so every decision I made good or bad affected them. And so, as I said in the beginning, the catalyst for me getting better was really the fact that my kids needed me. They needed me to be here, be whole, be a mom, be present. And I could not do that in the state of health that I was in. And so really it, it, in all areas, me being healthier, obviously landed me where I'm at today. I got that book out. It allowed me to create that podcast. It now allows me to create positive change for other people. So I really believe that every decision that we all make every day, whether good or bad, is playing a role in those people around us. And that is extending far wide and deep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's as hard as it is to see that in the moment, um, that is, that is so true. And we have no idea how you didn't know you were going to have a pot. I didn't know I was going to have a podcast, you know, like we think about all these things, like I didn't know what a podcast was like five years ago, I guess, but, right. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's so interesting. And you mentioned your kids and, them being the ones, and I, I hear that a lot from moms that, it, you know, it's, it's thinking about how we can be for our kids or how, what we need to be for because that's the thing that motivates us to change. But, um, I'm still kind of blown away by, I'm like, I, I don't usually get at, become at a loss for words during these interviews, but I'm like, wow, I'm still just like letting it set in. Cause I read the book and I knew your story, but hearing you explain it, it's just a totally different thing. You, you went through a lot. And so I'm, I'm so excited to be talking about it. Um, yeah. So let's talk about, I know you believe very much in mindset and self-belief. And so what are some of those things that sabotage our self-belief and what can we do to change it? Cause maybe somebody is listening right now and they are loaded up on drugs because of something that is, you know, traumatically affecting their body and they don't see a way out. They don't see how they can be pain-free. They don't see how they can change their situation. So what are ways that we sabotage it and, and how can we have that self-belief? This is such a good question. And one of my favorite questions to yeah. talk about, I love talking about self-belief and, and mindset and all of that. So a lot of our self-belief is, is pretty much stems from when we are younger. And it comes like in those first, I, I say like that first, you know, one to 10 years is when we get a lot of our thought process kind of ingrained in us. They get in there, they solidify and our life is based around that. So again, going back to talking about our health, a lot of the things that happen in our life. And I say this because I was on another show and someone asked me if I, if I really felt like I had to have a crisis to be able to do what I do today. And I said, yes, because I needed my own testimony. I needed to have my own story to say that you can rise above any circumstance if you decide you want to be different. But if you think about it, all of this, you know, I tell people to go back to my story and look at my story post 10 years, you know, pre, excuse me, pre 10 years ago, pre 15, 20 years. I'm a very different person. And when you talk about not knowing that podcast, you know, I took public speaking in college where I would never talk in front of a group of people ever <laughs> again because I hated talking in front of people. So it is amazing how that happens. But these self-belief you know, they, they're, they come to us, whatever they are, lack of or of either way, very early on. And they play out in all areas of our life. They show up in our finances. They show up in our health. They show up in our relationships and our careers. And it's really how we value ourselves. So wherever we see ourselves, if this is what our deserved level is, we keep allowing things to happen to us. And that means crisis comes into our life. These things come in because we allow them. And so really, you know, I think that the way we sabotage this really is when we get to a point where we say, this is my life and this is what I accept. And we no longer say to ourselves, 
maybe there is different, maybe there is something different for me, I need to investigate that. And so for me, you know, I, I growing up in all these years, and I say, I sadly enough, it took me, you know, well into my 40s to really realize that I deserve more. And I deserve to have this happy life and be healthy in all areas of my life. And sadly, I had to go through all these, you know, different crises in my life to lead me to this. But really, it's just about the day we decide to say, you know, I deserve more and I'm going to investigate this. What do I need to do to be a better human being? When we open the doors to saying, I want to be a better human being, that's the day we stop sabotaging ourselves. Because guess what? We're now open to learning. We're now open to letting the teachers show up because we're ready to receive. That is so good. So I'm taking notes. Stop sabotaging. <laughs> stop sabotaging yourself because that's so good. Um, but yeah, it's, and you mentioned something else about, how we need to investigate and we need to continue searching and looking and checking and double checking. And, and in some ways, I, I think that it's easier, you know, just to accept how things are, even if we are suffering from a chronic illness or chronic pain or whatever it is, it's, it can be easier to just be like, yep, yeah, well, this is how it is. And I'm just going to live with it. It's scary. And it's hard to look into something else. Um, and, and, yeah. And, and think that there could be something more. And that requires a lot of confidence and belief in yourself to begin with. Uh, so what, you know, and I should have asked this earlier, but I'm just now thinking of it. What were some of the other things? I know you mentioned changing up your diet. What were some of the other therapies and, and things that you went through as you were dealing with this? So if you're talking like on the medical side of things, there were a lot, obviously I did, you know, I did a lot of um, jaw therapy work and I did meditation. Of course, on the other side, I did TMJ treatment. I did acupuncture, you know, dabbled into the oils. I did a lot of different things mm -hmm. because I feel like when you're in a chronic condition, you're desperate. I mean, I, I spent yeah. so much money because I was just, everybody would bring something to me. Let me try that. Let me try this. Let me try this. But again, I think it comes down to, when we make a decision to get better, it has to start in the head it, because everything is a thought first. And I tell people this all the time. Everything you do in life is a thought first. It, it's there before you do it. So if you think every day that you're never going to get better, you're never going to get better. If you wake up and you say there, I'm getting chills thinking about talking about this right now. If you wake up and you say, I don't have the answer yet, but I know I'm going to get better. You give yourself the opportunity to get better. So for me, I really feel like it has to be that decision first because all of these things that I did are great in theory, but if my head had not been in the place of, I deserve to be better, I deserve to be healthy, I should not have to deal with this, and I'm going to keep investigating, nothing would have ever come from it. You know what I'm saying? So I did so many things, but I will tell you, the biggest thing was that it was doing the affirmations, it was doing the gratitude journaling, it was doing you know, the exercise, it was doing the just every day getting up and fighting and saying, I'm going to find this, I'm going to figure this out, I'm going to figure it out, I'm going to keep going until I do. Yeah. And, and even that, that whole something to look forward to, you know, you mentioned that early in the beginning too, that is such a good positive psychology hack that, that people can do because yeah, when you get stuck in that, well, this is just how it is. This is, and I think a lot of people have gotten into that with this COVID situation, mm -hmm. you know, is that we've just like, well, this is how things are. And I guess I'm just gonna, you know, sit at home. And instead of like, for me, it's been so I have to build in things to look forward to, you know, and oh, I have to think yeah. of, yeah, I have to do my gratitude. And I have to, 
tell myself, you know, that this isn't going to last forever. You know, like there's just different ways. Otherwise, I don't think I would have made it through that, you know, like just the mental weight of everything has been so hard. And I am concerned for people who are living with this weight and they don't know how to get out of it. And so I think, like you said, those, it's one thing to do. Yeah. The, the treatments and the healing stuff and the therapies and all of that, but really that mindset, that's where it starts. And it starts with investigating and asking questions and, and not being judgmental with yourself. Right. It sounds like you were not very judgmental with yourself. No, I mean, there were, there's definitely moments where, you know, you, and I still do this today where you get up and you have to reflect and you say, okay, what am I doing wrong here? Like, why is this happening? But I think, you know, there has to be this little fighter in us all the time. There has to be something within us that says status quo is not right. And I don't care what, what, where the status quo is. If it's in your financial situation, your career, your health, what's going on in the world, whatever that is, there always has to be this little piece of us that says, I deserve better. And I've always, you know, I, I can tell you this, probably I've been this way my whole life. I have always felt like when something is going wrong, there is another solution. We just haven't found it yet. And, and I feel like, you know, my story, and this is why I'm so passionate about what I do with helping people in the podcast and everything that I do, because I really feel like I try to give people hope that, listen, if I can get through this disease that doesn't really have a cure, then you can do this. You can do these things that you want to do. It's just really about having that little fighter inside you that says you just got to keep chugging away until you figure out the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I want to touch on that you mentioned in your book is letting go of the unnecessary and what a powerful lesson that was for you. So I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think that was under my mindfulness section where I was talking about mindfulness. And that's such a great word because it wasn't something that I had heard of, you know, pre-trigeminal neuralgia. It's something I kind of started learning about as I was going through this whole journey and healing both my body and my head. And so really for me, what mindfulness was and is this day is just letting go of things that are not important in my life. You know, I used to would get up and, and I talk about this all the time. I get up early in the morning and I still get up early in the morning. That has not changed, but my priorities with what I do in the morning have completely changed because I would get up in the morning and I would have this massive routine, you know, where I need to be out the door by this time, talking to these people, doing all these things, wearing all these hats. And I really, when I went through this, the first thing that I did was I had to be okay with letting some of my kids activities go. I had to be okay with saying, Hey guys, I need you to narrow this down to one activity per child rather than doing three. The problem we had was that they had started so many of these activities when they were very, very young and they were excelling and it became very difficult to pick which activity do we allow them to stay in? Which do we pull them from? And so I really had to get with, okay, with simplifying my life, taking it down a notch as a parent so that I could be more present, but also when I say letting go of the unnecessary, I also talk about decluttering the people that are in my space because a lot of what we as individuals, again, if you think about the whole sum here of the human being, so much of what happens here is we have so much inner turmoil and it's over things like not being able to tell people no when we really don't want to do anything or, or being able to confront situations because we're scared of conflict, right? And so I had to be okay with ending some things and fixing some things. And what I mean by that is if people were in my space that were not 
you know, creating a positive energy for me, where we're giving me, you know, creating havoc in my life or giving me negative energy. I had to be okay to let that go and remove it, get it out of my space, reserve my energy for the people that I feel like I'm going to be able to, to have positive interaction with, you know, and then also just decluttering my life as far as scheduling goes. Like I get up at 5 a.m. every day, I'm routine. Even on the weekends, I wake up early. I walk my dogs every morning. I enjoy walking my dogs. I come back, eat my breakfast, have my green tea. But I really don't like to do a whole lot with people and outside of my house before 10, 11 o'clock in the morning because I value my sacred time in the morning. That's my reading time, my exercise time, my time to get my to-do list and just really reflect on what I want to do for the day. It sets my whole day. Yeah, I like that. And and what's interesting, like for me, it was such an aha moment when I was reading about that. Like what, what is the n- unnecessary in my life that's taking up my emotional energy, uh, my time? And you know what popped out at me? And I've said it before on the podcast. So somebody's listening and going, oh my gosh, here she goes again. But it was Facebook. Like I mm. spent a lot of unnecessary emotional energy interacting on Facebook. And I caught myself in it today, responding back to a comment. I'm As I was doing it, I was like, don't respond. Don't respond. Like I'm it's not so a hard. person. I'm not an antagonistic person. I don't, but sometimes I like to just, be devil's advocate a little bit. I'm like, have you thought about this, you know, and yeah. uh, shouldn't have done it. And it really kind of, t- it wasted most of my day because I was thinking about it and I was rattled about it. And so I, I think that is such a powerful lesson. And I, you know, just how can we fill up our day with the things that we need to do that fill that don't drain us, you know, the things that, and you mentioned even income producing activities, how much time do we waste? Those of us who are, you know, run our own businesses or, you know, entrepreneurs or whatever, like it's real easy to waste time on things that are not going to produce any income, (laughs) you know? And and so I, I just thought that was a really powerful lesson and just this whole idea of minimalism. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about, keeping this minimalistic viewpoint as well. Yeah. I think the minimalistic viewpoint, it it just kind of ties in with that whole mindless, you know, mindfulness, what is important to you? Like, do you need to have, you know, if you're, give you a good example. I think I talk about in there about working. If you're driving across town because you're making more money, but you're spending two hours in the car commuting. I mean, how effective is that at the end of the day? Like you're talking about Facebook and and I, first of all, I want to say I've been there. I know exactly (laughs) what you're talking about. And my brain will get so wrapped up in something and the whole day is shot because I'm thinking about a comment that somebody made on Facebook. So I get that. Absolutely. But I think with that, it ties into that right there. You know, you're driving across town to go to this prestigious job because you love the money. But now you're paying for your child to go to daycare. You're spending two hours commute time. You're stressed out because you had to drive in traffic. You came home. You know, time is money. And when you think about things like that, these are the things that I have to weigh out. You know, like, is it important for me to take on a client that is going to wear me out, nickel and dime me, but I'm spending all my energy doing this because she's going to pay me an extra, you know, $20 on a session, but I'm going to be exhausted when I'm done with this, you know? And so minimalism, it can mean many things to many people, but for me, it's really about setting your priorities in place. What's important to you and where do you want to put your time, whether it be in your personal life, you know, your, your business itself. And you and I are both moms running businesses. And so we have to really think about, you know, where is our energy going and where are we pulling and taking from? Because, you know, I had a gal on my, on my podcast the other day, a phenomenal lady by the name of Amelia Antony, Antonetti. She's phenomenal. She has worked with Oprah and Steve Harvey. I mean, just done amazing things, but she was talking about how 
we can have anything we want. We just can't have it all at the same time. So you've got to think about where your priorities are and where you're putting your time and energy, because if right now that is spending time with your family, then be present in that moment and let go of the unnecessary that isn't serving you well and be effective. Yes. Yes. I like that. We need that reminder because we do get caught up in the clutter. You know, like I made a joke the other day with my husband that I feel like I have all these tabs in my brain that are just open constantly. And we need to learn to close those. I think we might have even talked about that together because it has been something that's been on my mind. And so all of this is so timely for what I'm learning for myself. And so I I hope that other people can relate to this as well. Um, So let's talk about, you know, your business and your coaching and, and how do you help people? what is it one-on-one what is it that you're you're working on right now oh my gosh this is my favorite part I love talking about coaching because I am so passionate about it okay so yes I do a lot of one-on-one coaching that's what I'm doing right now I am in the process of putting an online coaching program together right now with another partner super excited about that not necessarily excited about the building phase of it because that's not my strength I'm more of the visionary and and the coaching person all that but you know, you got to do the behind the scenes because that's how you build things is you got to do all the work. And so, yeah, I do a lot of one-on-one coaching right now, but I work with people really. My big thing is helping people and I, I claim sneak around sabotaging behaviors. So I teach them ways to learn to get around these behaviors that we are hanging on to and really learn to let go of them. They do not go away. They will never go away. But the idea is, is if we can be Here's that word, mindful about them, and we can learn techniques for getting around them. Then that's what I work with people on is how do we divert the attention to the sabotaging behavior? Again, because the thoughts come first, right? So, yeah, so I I love the coaching and, you know, and the, like I said, we're working on this online program. That's going to be the next phase, which will allow me a little bit more free time to be able to get my message and those things out to people, but be able to get that in a little wider range versus just doing this one-on-one. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's so needed. And again, I think it's really cool how it comes from everything that you went through yourself that you had to overcome. And now you've turned it into a way to help other people, which again, is why I wanted to interview you and why I wanted you to have, why I wanted to have you on the show, because this is, this is a real person who went through something horrible came out on the other side and is offering hope to so many. And I I just, I think that's amazing. Um, Yeah. So Let's talk a little bit. I do have a question because you said, I'm going to bat way backtrack on the keto thing. A year and 10 months. Is that t- Yeah. 20, 22 20, months. Yeah. 22 months. Yeah. How in the world did you, were you, and you were able, like, this is real talk because I know yeah. I've had lots of people talking keto before I've done played around with keto here and there before, but it's hard to make that work long-term. So you really were able to stick with it for that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Um, when I started, I worked with a gal by the name of Maria Emmerich. She was on my podcast. She's kind of big in the keto world. Now, Haley Berry's actually endorsed her cookbooks. Um, but I called her up. And at this point, and I keep in mind, that was not, you know, I just woke up one day and decided I'm going to do keto. I had done, you know, taking de- uh, gluten out of the diet. Then I went to a low FODMAP diet. Then I did a fast track. And then I seriously, Aaron, I went online and looked up low sugar diets. I said, what is a low sugar diet? I knew nothing about keto Mm -hmm. because keep in mind, this was 2017. This was before people were really talking keto. And so I had, you know, of course, in the beginning, everybody was like, oh my gosh, you're going to die from fat. You're going to, you're never going to be able to do this. And I'm like, listen, 
I don't have an option. I don't know what else to do. I have done everything else I know to do. I've taken the peanuts out. I've taken the soy out. I've taken the gluten. Nothing has changed. And so I went hardcore. I bought like two or three of her cookbooks. She has meal plans in there. She has 30 day meal plans. I went grocery shop and I followed those meal plans to a T. I counted macros for 22 months, never cheated one day the entire time I was on that diet. But also, you know, keep in mind, like I said, I didn't really have an option. And people are always impressed mm -hmm. by that because I tell them it took 11 to 12 months. And I had, you know, my friend asked me one day on a podcast, she said, how did you do that for 11 to 12 months? And I said, I didn't see an alternative. What was the alternative? The alternative was go back to the opiates, was to go back to that mm -hmm. lifestyle and stay in that same pattern over and over and over and never see a change. So for me, this was my escape and I had to make mm -hmm. it work. I had to make it work. And it did. It took a very long time for me to see it. But I will tell you this. There was one day I was in my bathroom cleaning up and I was standing in the bathroom. And for a split moment, this was probably around month 11 or 12. I was standing in there and all of a sudden I didn't feel sick. I had no pain. I didn't feel sick. It was a very short lived moment, but it was the first moment that I had felt in four years. And I was sitting in there and I was like, oh my goodness. I had like this little glimmer of hope because I had not had that one time that entire time. And so I knew that day that I was onto something. I knew that something was happening. And from that day on, I started having more and more, but it really took me that full 22 months to mm. be able to get off of everything and be able to completely walk away and say, okay, I actually did this. I made this work. So was the main reason you went and you decided to go keto to begin with was the anti-inflammatory aspects of it was just yes. to kind of decrease. Yeah. I yeah. mean, cause that's, and that's, what's really cool. And I, and I want people to understand this is that keto is not a diet. It was never intended to be a diet. It was intended right. to be a therapeutic tool for people who have epilepsy. And mm -hmm. so it, it can absolutely make an impact on all sorts of body functions. And so I just, I think that's your determination is, is pretty. Yeah. Incredible. So I'm sure people would, would love to know now you said you did keto for 22 months. What, what is your daily, what's your daily meal it look plan? Like, like? What, what do you look like now? Yeah. What, what kind of exercise yeah. do you do in these days? How are you maintaining your health? Because I know you're thinking, I can't go back there, you know, and, and I've done, I feel that same way for me with my mental health. It's like, I will do whatever I can not to go back there. And so what are the things that you're, you're implementing now to continue on this path? Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So I don't do keto any longer. Now there are some days that I do eat very, very low carb. That is probably at keto level, but I don't do a consistent keto level every day. I about, you know, about at that year mark, when I got to that 22 month mark, I started kind of saying, okay, well maybe I'm going to try to slowly implement a few carbs in. What I will tell you is that I do eat a fairly low carb diet most days. Now, like today I told you, I went out to eat at lunch and I had a little bit of rice and I came back and felt like I had taken a Benadryl because the right. carbs <laughs> affect me so much. Like I cannot eat a banana without feeling like stomach pain. The fructose just gets me. So mm -hmm. on, on average, I try to stay pretty low carb for the most part, meaning I'm going to eat, you know, meat, probably a little more fatty type meat, veggies, at the same time, you know, I'm a coach and I tell people all things in moderation. So if I want a bowl of ice cream, I'm going to have a bowl of ice cream. You're just not going to see me eat that every day because if I do, my body's going to get out of whack. Yeah. And I really do try to keep my stress levels. Again, I'm not, you know, I'm high energy like you. I'm not going to say I'm perfect. There are days I'm like all over the wall crazy, but then I know 
when I start feeling that nerve kind of, ag- you know, getting aggravated in there, okay, Jennifer, you need to take it down a notch. You need to start relaxing, take it down. But I'm very regimented about my things. I mean, I do collagen every day. I drink apple cider vinegar in my, in hot water with a little stevia at night. You know, I have my little things I do every single day. I, I do aloe vera every day in my beverages. Um, and I still exercise every single day. I do not run like I did during that time. I mean, during that time I was doing 70, you know, 60, 70 miles a week easily. I mean, that's what I was running. And eh, do I do that anymore? No, I just don't really have the energy to want to do that every day, but I do exercise every single day, whether that is walking my dogs, running the elliptical weights. I just try to make sure I get some kind of physical activity in every single day. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And the meditation, you still frequently meditate as I well, do. right? Yes. I still do all my things I talk about. I do my to-do list, my gratitudes, my meditation, mm-hmm. my journals, all of that. I do everything. You know, I, I firmly believe, you know, I don't feel like you got to be perfect in all those areas every single day, but you know, the things I talk about when I train, you know, I talk about these eight tips that you do daily and weekly. I really feel like to have that authenticity, I got to be li- living that lifestyle. And I really feel like, you know, my story shows that, Hey, this stuff works. And so when people tell me, you know, I don't believe this. I always tell them, well, I'm a walking testimony that it does happen. So when you do the things and you believe that things happen. And so I just feel like it, it really have to, in order to be able to show people that I have to live that life. Yeah. And, and I, that's, again, I, I love that because, you know, on my show, we do talk to a lot of quote experts and, you know, medical people and nutritionist people, you know, all these that are telling, these are the things that science says, this is what we should be doing, blah, blah, blah. But hearing about it from a real life perspective and like, this is what I implemented. This is what I, what worked for me. That's really powerful. And I think that, yeah, for you to say that nobody can argue with your experience, you know, people can argue with facts, even science and studies and things, right? right? But this is your personal experience and you can't argue with that. And what you have done has absolutely made a difference in your health. So the last question that I usually ask people is if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? I love this question, Erin. I think this is so (laughs) awesome. I would say to spark wholeness would be to find an area you want to work on and implement one small change, one small thing, because here's the deal. Nobody makes a move until they're pinned against the wall. I always say this. People make change when they're either pushed by pain or pulled by a longing, right? We either want to be changing or we have a reason. I was pinned against the wall and sadly I had no choice, had to do this. But if we have the opportunity now to get ourselves right, I would always say start with the mind first. Get your head right because if you get your head right, you can do anything you want to do. You can change your health. You can change anything you want to change if you can get your head in the right place, right? So start with that one small thing. And maybe right now that's reading every single day. That's where I started, you know, in the beginning was reading every single day. It really changed my whole outlook on everything. And it it opened the doors for me to be more industrious and be more of a problem solver. So just pick one thing that you can do that you can change and implement that every day. And after you've done that for a few months, maybe pick up something new. I love that. Yeah, that absolutely. And it, and it's not, and, and that's so good because I think people think that they have to do so many things at once. Right. And that's where we get bogged down because it's like all these things are they hear from you. They hear me share my story. It's like, well, I couldn't do all of that, but right. neither of us did all of that either. You know, it was just one tiny little thing. Um, yeah. So how can people contact you? You know, where can they find your podcast, get your book, all of those good things. 
Well, I would say the easiest thing to do would be to go to jenniferloading.com. And I'm assuming you'll probably put that in there so they know the spelling. So that would be the easiest place to go because my podcast, my book, everything is tied to that. Of course, my book is on Amazon and my podcast is Starter Girls with a Z. I would say Z because we like to be a little different here. Um, And that has its own page. But if they go to that Jennifer Loading, it'll link them to everything. Awesome. I think it even has my social media contacts on there too, so they can get everything they need. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing and coming on the show. I I've enjoyed it and time just kind of flew by. So thank you so much for being on. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. This was fun. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.